genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Welcome to Why I Believe. My name is Christian and I'm here in the studio once again with Brad and Michael. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Christian. Good to be back. back. Now, we're continuing our series with the question, why would people with half a brain or a full brain, for some of us, be interested in exploring themes of faith, believing in God, even thinking that the Bible has something to say for this day and age? Isn't the Bible, isn't faith, isn't God something for old people? Why would young people believe? Now, we've spent some time looking at the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 in our last session. And the reason we did that was to look at evidence that the Bible does have some things to say about the future and those things have come to pass. Now, that's all good and true. Uh, But the question we're going to look at today is how do we read the Bible to make sure that we understand it right? Why do you think that's such an important question? I guess the consequences of misunderstanding is pretty high, but you're probably looking a bit deeper than that. Well, for starters, yeah. yeah. When you misunderstand something, you always get into trouble. If you misunderstand what your wife's telling you, you get into big trouble. (laughs) That's right. So misunderstanding can lead to disastrous consequences. Misunderstand what your boss wants you to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. He said, sell, you bought. Well, that's a big problem. Yeah. Misunderstanding always leads to confusion and, and possibly even disaster. Yeah, well, we think about how much our language changes day to day, basically. What does the word like mean? Yeah, yep. Before Facebook, it meant something completely different to what it means now. Absolutely, yep, yep. So you mean that like means more than just thumbs up? <laughs> oh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> and I think also about the fact that there's something like 35,000 just Christian denominations. That's without even going into Judaism, and there's quite a few varieties of Judaism that use the Old Testament. Christians have the New Testament plus the Old Testament. And really, how many people go out there and say, hey, we've got this denomination or this Christian church, but um, we're, we're wrong. You know, everybody out there says we're right. Everybody's reading it a little bit differently. How do you know? How do we get through the Bible and come out on the other side getting value, meaning, purpose, knowing and experiencing God um, while not misusing or abusing it? And people have definitely misused and abused the Bible. I can think of the Crusades. Oh, yeah. You know, can you think of some other times where people have misused the Bible and, and it's a, to a absolute disaster? Oh, look, people misuse the Bible every day to, to judge each other and say, oh, you're doing something wrong. How dare you? Yeah. Feel guilty and shamed and you're going to hell. Absolutely. It happens personally. Yep. Uh, it's happened in history with the, when we mentioned the Crusades. I think of even the Holocaust, you know, you look at some history there and initially the Bible was used as an excuse for anti-Semitism. Look, the Jews crucified Jesus. You know, the Jews are, are, are bad people. Um, so the Bible has been uh, used and misused for even things like terrorism. I can think of Ireland mm. between the Catholics and the Protestants. Hundreds and thousands of people died. Countries go to war um, saying, well, the Bible told me so. Uh, so it can definitely be misused. And what we want to do is look at some basic principles. How do we make sure that we, we understand it? that it doesn't get misused, and uh, that we're, we're doing it as close as possible to the right way. Now, uh, an illustration comes to mind uh, before we go on to our first point of a young man who is quite desperate in terms of life, he's thinking of taking his life, uh, and says, you know, I'm going to give God one more try. So he says, God, I'm going to open the Bible, and you better talk to me through it if you exist. I'm going to open it randomly, put my finger, and you give me a message. 
So he opens a Bible randomly, puts his finger on there, and reads the first sentence on his, next to his finger, and it says, Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> and he thinks, this can't be God, this is the devil. So he tries it again, opens the Bible, puts his finger on the Bible, reads the verse there, and it says, go and do likewise. Different verse, of course. <laughs> of course, different yes. verse, you know. now Divine inspiration for his personal <laughs> needs. <laughs> if you read the Bible like that, you can make it say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can do that with a newspaper. Um, the whole idea of fake news, we were talking about that before we start. Tell us about that and how that fits into the concept of, of truth and authority and accuracy. Well, it's basically just taking something that's happening in the world and making it fit your agenda or your bias and saying, oh, well, this is clearly what it means when mm. you're not actually taking it a bit more objectively and going, okay, I am only here to report the news rather than interpret the news. Those are two different things. Mm. And the same happens with history. Uh, there are history revisionists who are forever changing what was recorded by people who lived 200 years ago. And there's a sense that we know better what happened 200 years ago than those people who lived through it. Now, I understand we can improve and there was some bias, but there's got to be a limit somewhere, Michael. Look, the challenge is we've all got bias. No matter when you approach any topic, um, all of us approach it with some sort of preconception, some sort of bias. And so I guess like a, a really important question is how do we overcome the bias that we have if the Bible really is what God claims it to be, um, his, like it's divinely inspired, something for us to like take to heart, um, how do we overcome our biases when we approach it? That's probably a key issue too. And probably a good place to start with overcoming your bias is to um, identify and acknowledge at least the biases <laughs> that you know. Yep. Um, I don't believe in God or I'm open to God. And yep. then... Um, try to, as hard as it is, put those biases aside uh, and be as objective as possible um, with how we're studying the Bible. The thing that makes it difficult for us as human beings is we we tend to um, develop just through life a model of how we feel the world exists or how we feel things work. And then when we see things around us, they either confirm or they challenge the assumptions that we've made. Now, Mm. some, like it's, it's, it's easy to ignore things that challenge your assumptions and to accept the things that um, that validate them. Mm. And so I guess part of it is just a bit of trying to be honest about things. And, mm. and you know, when, when you're approached with things, try and be mindful. Am I picking up on the things that actually challenge my assumptions as well as I am on the things that seem to validate them? Mm. Absolutely. That's why we started with prophecy. Uh, and we looked at the story of Daniel chapter 2 um, because at the very least, it encourages us to think, hey, there's something interesting here. There's something that you can't quite explain using the empirical method. Here's something written two and a half thousand years ago that accurately predicts uh, world empires for the next at least 2,000 years. Um, So as we come to explore the Bible over the next however many uh, sessions we do, uh, let's at least be open to the idea that, hey, there could be a God. <laughs> there is some evidence that suggests there is a divine power or a divine arm or something above and beyond at least the human. And then at least start with that assumption or at least open to that. And I think as we do that, we might be surprised at what we discover through the Bible. Yep. It's all about just following the evidence. And being open, being open rather than no, there is no God or the Bible is wrong. 
Uh, well, you start with that and you're going to find exactly what you want. And I can think of Richard Dawkins, who's a very famous atheist, and he picks apart a verse here and a verse there and, and uh, makes the Bible say whatever he wants that fits his agenda. Which is being a very poor scientist for all that's concerned. Yeah. Absolutely. And I say that because uh, there are even other atheistic scientists who contradict what he's saying about the Bible and are challenging him, saying, hey, uh, before you start to comment on the Bible, at least read it. <laughs> mm. You know, at least understand it in its context before for throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Coming back to context, and we're going to look at this first. Uh, One of the important things is to understand that the Bible was not written today. Have you read a book from 100, 200 years ago, anything a little bit older than than the last decade or two? Shakespeare, you mean, or not even that old? Well, well, there you go, Shakespeare. I mean, that takes us back a few centuries. What do you notice as you read Shakespeare as opposed to reading, you know, a modern-day novel? Hard to understand. The the language to start (laughs) off with, right? Yeah, the language, hard to understand. Yeah, the vocabulary, it's totally different, and it's still English, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Now, if you read the original Shakespeare, not the one that's been sort of updated and and modernised, It is really difficult to get. It's fun to try, but it's, man, it's hard. (laughs) It is. So we have to acknowledge and recognize that the Bible was written thousands of years ago, which means the language, um, the names, the context, what people are going through was very different to what we're going through. A hundred years ago, you walk on, uh, and I don't know so much about Australian uh, history, but I know in America, and I guess we see that in the media, you'd go to a shop and you'd see a sign that would say, no blacks allowed. A hundred years ago, that was common. That was normal. If you were a white person in America and you saw one of those signs, would it make you think twice about it? Today, you mean? No, a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, it was normal. It, it, it was like, you know, we look back and we think how crazy, how horrible, but it was the... It was the reality of their civilization yeah, that, at the time. Now, it didn't make, doesn't make it right. No, no. It doesn't make it ethical. It doesn't make it moral. There's no excuse for it. But for the average person living 100 years ago who happened to be white, they would walk in and think nothing of it. The average black person would probably feel threatened, offended, intimidated, um, rejected by that sort of thing. So it elicits a different reaction. If you were to see the same sign on a shop front today, what would the reaction be? Whoa. Yeah, so just a hundred years has changed how we read a simple piece of text on a shop front window enormously. Go back thousands of years and we have to realise it's a totally, completely different world. Even today, you go to a different continent, their values are completely different. And that's today. Let alone alone the language, let alone everything else. Yep, yep. And that's with people having access to media, technology, to the world you know, in the palm of their hands, and yet still there are significant cultural differences. So we need to acknowledge that there are time differences. I think in, in acknowledging that, we need to also think what doesn't change, what what has been the same with, you mm. know, like humans are still humans. Yep. You know, we still have, we still think, we have feelings, mm. but, you know, there is an awful lot different though. So, you know, yeah, I mean, well, I guess we need to acknowledge the differences, but also just remember that some things haven't changed too. Yeah, and, and be careful as to which ones have changed and which ones haven't. That's a really good yeah. point. So time has changed. Time itself, culture um, has changed. Um, I guess society in general, civilizations, the way people view each other, all of those things are important to understand. Technology and science has changed. Um, go back three, 400 years ago, the idea that the earth was round was foreign. Mm. The way you looked at the world at this, as the center of the universe was very different to how we would see it today. The idea that germs were the thing that caused people to get sick, you know. Exactly right. Out uh, of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just on health. And we'll come to that because the Bible has some uh, interesting things to say about health, but it uses language that's relevant to those people. Imagine stepping back in time 4,000 years ago and trying to explain DNA to people. 
trying to explain germs and hygiene. I mean, it's just... Try to explain your phone. <laughs> try, to, try to explain... Well, I try to explain phones and computers to my grandmother. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and she, I remember my cousin telling uh, another cousin about atoms. He was teaching her. And my grandma got really upset. You know, of course we're not made of atoms. We're made of skin and flesh. You know? Uh, and, and that's the thing. Both of them are right. Well, well, they are, but they see the world very differently. Yep. Uh, and dare I say, my grandmother was probably wrong in some things as well because <laughs> she's just from a different era and age. So we need to make sure that when we read the Bible, don't just pick it up, read a sentence and say, oh, I can't believe it says that. But look at the context. What was happening? What was life like? What were people thinking? Now, to do that, you'll need some other tools, encyclopedias, uh, some journals, some commentaries. The internet's a great place to start. You can find some fantastic historical insights to help us put the stories in the Bible in context. I was going to say that, Christian, like we don't even need a lot of that. Just um, like often we can save ourselves a lot of trouble by within, you know, within the context of the, the sentence, the paragraph, the chapter, the book, like often just by not being superficial, but by actually looking at the context of what's written, it, um, it infinitely um, helps to, yeah, just dissolve some of the, the things that people might at surface glance just from a one sentence. I mean, you, you take any person, what they say, one sentence or a half a phrase, and you can you can make them to say anything, but take the context of what they've said in their broader sort of work, and it's a totally different picture. That's a fantastic point, Michael. Look at the context of the passage first. Look at the context of the book. Look at the context of the wider Bible and obviously the historical context as well. So if you remember nothing else from today's uh, talk context. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back to continue with more thoughts on how to understand and read the Bible effectively. Spirit is within me 
I'm here with Michael and Brad and we're talking about how to understand the Bible effectively, how to read it so it adds value and how to read it in in such a way that it, it isn't abused or misused like many people have throughout history. Um, I guess the first thing we explored in the initial 15 minutes was context. Context is absolutely important. If you saw me holding another woman's hand who's not my wife and you only had a second to glance at that, you could come up with all sorts of things, couldn't you? Good thing I haven't had to. (laughs) Good thing you haven't. But if you knew that she was my grandmother, my elderly mother or my daughter, or if it was a family friend who was in hospital on their deathbed, it changes significantly, doesn't it? It does. It does. So context is absolutely valuable. And Michael has a really good point. Look at the context of of that chapter, of the paragraphs around it, of the book in which it's written. Don't just take a single sentence and uh, make your whole life's theology or, or, or purpose based on a single sentence. What I want to do now is, okay, we explored context. How do we start reading the Bible? Um, now, what's the most common way that people start reading the Bible when they make a commitment to start reading it? 
Just like any other book. They'll start at the start and they'll try and read straight through till the end. And what happens when you do that? And I'm sure it's happened to you. It's definitely happened well, to me. Well, you go a little bit for a while, it goes okay going through Genesis <laughs> and Exodus. It does. It does. <laughs> when you get to Leviticus, things get a bit heavy. And <laughs> Deuteronomy <laughs> on numbers, man, alive, you're really bogged down. Yeah, yeah. Look, it seems to ebb and flow, doesn't it? It does. And Genesis is a place most people start. And as you said, you can get through some of those stories. Uh, not everything makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. But I know for me, somewhere around halfway through Exodus, after the commandments, it starts to get heavy. And there's a few stories here and there. You get some of the minor prophets, some of the major prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Micah, Obadiah. Try and read through the Psalms in one sitting. <laughs> Psalms, Yeah. Um, in the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, which often people start there. You get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That's okay. Once you leave the book of Acts, it gets yeah. heavy. Don't start at the back. <laughs> <laughs> and if you start a revelation, well, that's a lost cause. Mm. What I would recommend is when you want to explore and get to know the Bible is to skip anything that's not a story. Because the Bible is really history. It's a story of God. It's a story of people who have interacted with God. And before you start to get to the nitty-gritty and some of the theology, the Psalms, some of the prophecies, step back and get to know the stories behind some of the theology or some of the more difficult things. Christian, what would you say? Like, I mean, any any book that has history, that has stories through it, has a purpose behind it. Um, what, like, what would you say the purpose behind the stories in the Bible are? We're going to come to that in a minute. It's a really good question. We're going to look at a few verses in the Bible that give us some insights into that. Um, start with the stories. You can start in Genesis. That's a good place. When you get something that's not a story, skip and keep going. Um, you can find some guides on the internet that give you a list of all the stories in the Bible that you can read. Uh, another great place to start, and I'd recommend that, is to actually start with the New Testament. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, because that goes into the life of Jesus. It's a little bit more modern, a little bit more relatable. Read those several times, get to know who Jesus was, what Christianity is, then come back and fill in the blanks with the Old Testament stories. Uh, do that until you are familiar with the stories, until they make sense, until you've understood a little bit about the context and the history. Then, when you've got a good grasp of the story of the Bible, start to explore some of the other areas as well. And I remember when I was a kid, some of my favorite stories in the Bible were um, in the books of Judges mm -hmm. and Samuel and mm -hmm. Kings because these guys were the heroes. These were the people that, even though they weren't perfect or anything like that, God had said, I want you to take care of my people. Mm -hmm. Even though they've rejected me and done stupid things that I've told them not to do and they've ended up hurting themselves and yeah. hurting me. And so you had these people who were like flawed people and yet God was still choosing them and mm. and helping them to do really cool things. Yeah, yep. some fantastic stories and stories mm. of heroes, of faith in the Bible. And that's a really good point about kids. You know, when we teach kids about the Bible, we go through the stories first. So if you haven't had that exposure as a child, you may not have grown up in a Christian home or not familiar with them, there's so much value in picking up and going through the stories first. Now I want to come back to Michael's question. Um, what's the Bible all about? We're going to explore a couple of verses that give us some insights into this. Let's start at John chapter 17 and verse 17. And again, we're looking for the purpose or the core aim or the focus of the Bible. John 17, 17. And maybe Michael, when you have that, if you'd like to grab that, please. John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. Okay. You know, truth is absolutely important. If, if you get misled, if you get deceived, you can lose your life savings. You can even lose your life. 
you can have bad relationships, everything goes wrong. And again and again, and this is just one verse, the Bible talks about itself as the source of truth. What is true? True about what? About who we are, why we're here, where we're going, um, about what's right, about what's wrong. The Bible talks to us about these things over and over again, and it identifies itself as the source of truth. A few more verses, then we'll tie them in together. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16. If you'd like to read those, please, Brad. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Okay, so what does this tell us about some of the purposes of the Bible? I guess it's saying that there's lots of different purposes, isn't it? It's, well, firstly, that it's all come from God, so it's all, got, it's all important to mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. Rebuking, correcting, training. It's trying to bring about changes in our life. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. Or to life. Yeah, to life, you know. Um, it's, it's really a, a teaching tool, and it talks about this concept of salvation. We haven't even explored that yet. Um, but the Bible talks about salvation as we have a problem, we have something we need to escape or get rid of or leave behind, and the Bible provides that. Now, at a very basic level, we all die. And the Bible, That's a problem. Yeah, and the Bible talks about its instructions, its content, as a way to uh, escape that, a way to overcome that, a way to be saved from the inevitable, which is death, to the exciting, which is life eternal. So it's a teaching tool to teach us about how to live beyond the short few years that we have here. I want to go to one final one on looking at the theme of the Bible, John chapter 5. And if you'd like to read verse 39 there, please, Michael. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus talking, he says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So what is Jesus saying here to the religious leaders of the day who knew their their Old Testament Bibles very well? Well, he's saying that you're studying them thoroughly, but hey, look, they're actually talking about me. I guess he's saying, you know, if you'd really been reading them thoroughly, you would have understood that. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, why are they reading the Bible? To obtain what? They want life. Yep. They want eternal life, which is what we were talking about just a few moments ago. You think that in them you've got eternal life? Yeah, if I read the Bible and do what it says, I'm going to have eternal life. But then Jesus says, well, not quite. There's something much greater than simply eternal life. Something um, that John Lennox, who's a, an emeritus professor at Cambridge of mathematics, he says, science often seeks to look at the big and the small things in the universe and try and understand them and things like that. But scientific research can't really help us answer those questions of, you know, what is, what is the purpose of doing all these things? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of life? And I think Jesus is making the same sort of point here to these guys. They were so interested in and just knowing everything and researching everything and being seen as the people who knew everything, but they didn't really understand the purpose mm. of what the Bible was there for. It's to connect them with God through Jesus. Yeah, yeah. When you pick up the Bible, this is God communicating to humanity about himself. Mm. That's why the stories are important, because they show us how God interacts um, with humanity. So keep that in mind. Everything you read, everything you look at, every passage or story you explore, what is this really telling me about God? 
because according to Jesus, when you have Jesus in your life, when you're at peace with God, all the rest are bonuses. Eternal life, contentment, satisfaction, joy, well-being, all those things are part and parcel of having Jesus in your life. So the core of the Bible is about a relationship and the fact that God, even though he's the creator, he wants to have a personal relationship with each one of us. Now that sounds a little bit odd, having a relationship through a book does and and it's easy look i mean as a christian myself who reads the bible a lot it's easy to zone out and to just get into the the book without necessarily concentrating on that relationship but if you lose that perspective it tends to lose the point doesn't it it does now i remember about mm, 12 15 years ago trying to explain the bible as a a tool for a relationship and i would often get blank stares but in this day and age we use text-based media to have relationships long distance relationships than ever before you know um, whether it's messaging facebook whatsapp slack whatever it is people communicate via text via written letters and have genuine uh, authentic relationships now sure it's better in person yeah. And I'm sure God looks forward to having that with us for eternity. And we do too as well. We can see him face to face. But it's definitely possible to engage and communicate with someone. The Bible is how God talks to us. The Holy Spirit, and we talked about that still small voice, is how he communicates with us as well. And we can talk to God through prayer. Now, just one final thing before we wrap it up. I met my wife online. Now, this day in Asia is quite common. When I met my wife online, it was probably quite a bit of a taboo thing, quite a, ooh, that's pretty weird. And, you know, we got to know each other really well for about six months. We talked about anything and everything. And it was interesting that because we had that long-distance relationship, we're able to get to know each other better, I think, in many ways than if we'd been in person. When you're in person, it's more about doing things together, going places. It's more about the aesthetic and the external. Uh, but because it was a purely a text-based relationship, uh, all we could do was talk and get to know each other. And it meant that there was nothing else that influenced our relationship except for what we talked and discussed. I think that's what the Bible does. That's what it is. And that's who and how Jesus chooses to, to communicate with us. Yeah, I think God doesn't necessarily tell us to keep others out of the relationship we have with him because obviously I think you want to keep your wife or your husband involved in your relationship with God and your family Mm -hmm. and your friends as much as you can. But at the same time, I think God wants our relationship with him to be very personal. And so sometimes it can be a lot better just to, when you're reading the Bible, read it for yourself, read it by Mm. yourself. And once you've done that, Pray to God, ask him what it means if you're not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, come to your own conclusion before you start trying to figure out what other people believe. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. One last verse I want to finish with together. It's in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to verse 13. And maybe I can ask you, Brad, to read that there. It's a really good point what you mentioned, Brad, because often the temptation is initially seek other people's opinions, but there's something interesting that it says here linked to what you just shared. Would you like to read those verses? Luke 11, 9 to 13. 9 to 13. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Bible reveals the Holy Spirit as God interacting and communing with us. And we're invited to ask. One of the things I'd encourage you to do as you pick up the Bible to examine it is to ask God first and foremost. Help me understand it. If it's from you and you've written it and it's for me, well then do some miracle in my mind so that what I'm reading makes sense to me, has value and is relevant to me. A couple of things that we've looked at. Context, absolutely vital and important. Context of the passage, of the chapter, of the book, historical context as well. What else have we discussed today? In addition to the context, we've looked at about the Bible being about a relationship as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, a relationship with God, getting to know the God who claims to have written it, the God who, uh, as we looked at last time, does seem to know the future uh, with remarkable accuracy. And the final thing we discussed was... A good way to start reading the Bible. Yeah, start reading the stories and ask God for insights, for wisdom, for help as you read through those stories in the Bible. Mm. Really good to have you with us today and uh, enjoy exploring, investigating, examining the Bible. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Thank you, Chris. If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us and we'll see you next time.